I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here, coming to you in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, and coming to you with a special project that we've come up with because so many live events are canceled, and poets do like to get together. So this is an opportunity to share your work and to hear poetic voices from around the world on the open mic of the air. To participate... Make a recording, five minutes or less, of yourself reading your own original poem. For full guidelines, you can go to our website, PoetrySpokenHere.com, and it will tell you to submit your final recording to OpenMicOfTheAir at gmail.com. And now, as I open the mic, let me say what I always say when we're in the same room for an open mic. You can rant, you can chant, you can shout, get it out, get it down, get it off, off your chest, off the page. Share your mission, share your glory, share your vision. Tell your story. Take a moment in the sun. The mic is open. And our first poet at the mic today comes to us from the northwest corner of the United States, up in Oregon. It's Michael Zinkowski who says that 97% of his poetry concerns students he works with in a youth correctional facility. And this poem is no exception. My name is Michael Zinkowski, and I'm from Salem, Oregon. I'll be reading, If I Knew It Would Come Back, Have I Given Anything? These are young men... With old tattoos, a dozen more sessions will finally fade. Felony charges, decades of kindness and civility and remorse might not. Grief, they've only begun to touch. Hugs, so huge my ribs buckle. Before I can even say anything, they notice my new ring, which I twist and pull and hand to my left, without worry, without fear. I've known them more years than my wife. I trust her. Each guy holds it long enough to study and marvel at the mold made from a braided lock of my wife's hair, a bouncing cottonwoods catkin. Each strand swells and recedes beneath the others only to reappear again, just as the ring briefly does, as each guy with the same shit-eating grin fakes stealing it a different way, a pretend pocketing, a false swallowing, an embellished stomping, all mocking the expectation they know others have of them, holding precious things that aren't theirs to keep. Next up, we have John Elizabeth Stinsey, a non-binary writer who grew up on a cattle farm in northwest Ontario and now lives in Kansas City, Missouri. They are the author of a new poetry collection, June Bat, which was released just earlier this week by House of Anansi Press out of Toronto. That press has published so much wonderful literature over the years, we wrote to them and ask them to forward our call for submissions to their authors. 
Hi, my name is John Elizabeth Stency. I'm a poet and novelist, originally from Northwestern Ontario, Canada, currently based in Kansas City, Missouri. And I'm going to read for you a poem from my collection, June Bat, from House of Anansi. This poem is about, or it's set the day after a train ran into the Hoboken station in Hoboken, New Jersey, and killing one person. So this is, that's the sort of context with which this poem is, was written. It's called Toward Hoboken Station, September 30th, 2016. Am I the station, or am I the New Jersey transit train that hit it? Yesterday morning, the New Jersey transit train at Hoboken that sits above the underground path station, where I'm heading to slip under the Hudson to work. There's no telling which one I am. I'm the one who stayed in bed, who woke up to confusing text messages from a mother, but I'm also the many wounded, every witness, and the singular dead. I'm the track and the screech of late breaks, the skunk crossing sign on Ogden Avenue, and the sound of rain rapping at my umbrella. It's a symptom of psychosis to be unable to discern the part of the world which is you from the part of the world which is invariably also you. That's why, while on the photos of the rubble of the platform's collapsed roof, the police tape keeping civilians back, the fault in the passengers' fear creasing a brows a day away. I'm also the clouds, every droplet of rain, and the too many steps down this cliff into Hoboken. I'm all that, but I still don't believe I'm the arms that hold this umbrella up. For a while now, I felt at the whim of the locomotive limbs of someone else's stranger. The drizzling streets are no different today, no noisier or more quiet, and as I go I feel less like the elbow and more the blinking orange hand on the streetlight at Monroe, warning bodies to either speed up to cross or slow down to wait. The feet at the end of the legs people know me by kick along at a normal pace through the concrete jersey. I fall in many bits, stream my way to rest in drains, puddles, and when I make it to Washington, I stumble upon myself as a pot of mums in the rain, sitting on the curb outside the little grocer, white-headed and wrapped in purple foil. A few turns away from the station, the legs go on, not breaking stride, as I am every single hurt, wet thing on the eastern seaboard, as I am the heartbeat of New Jersey, despite the fact I don't know anyone here, even though I am every stranger here except myself. On the last stretch, and there it is, the station, crews at work, police standing outside. From this side of the building, there's nothing to see but the wariness, the blockade, and a few New Jersey transit trucks. Still, I am all tangled up in it. Still a small, important clue trapped in the rubble of a body. Thank you. For our next poet, we move east in the United States to southeastern Appalachian, Ohio. The poet is Carrie Gunter Seymour. She has a book coming out this month, A Place So Deep Inside America It Can't Be Seen, from Sheila Nagig Editions. And she's the poet laureate emeritus 
of Athens, Ohio. If you like her poetry, you can hear more at CarrieGunterSeymourPoet.com. You know, I always enjoy poems about music and musical artists. And when you hear Carrie read, you're reminded of what a beautiful thing it is that we can actually hear each poet read in their own voice. Hello, everyone. My name is Carrie Gunter Seymour, and I am from Appalachian, Ohio. Um, I'd like to send out blessings to everyone during this very trying time. And I'm here to share my poem, Hank Williams, Last Ride. I knew all the words to move it on over before I could walk properly. Daddy loved Hank, and that was good enough for me. Move over, skinny dog, cause a fat dog's moving in. My toddler melodies hitting every trill and dip. Daddy strumming G, C, G, D. His foot a thumping tick hound, scratching fleas. He died hard, my daddy. Not like Hank, addicted to morphine and booze. But he was blue, and Hank knew the blues. Tonic tunes, Daddy called them. What might his life have been if he'd played honky-tonks instead of signing up for a front-row seat in the Pacific Ocean Theater, thick with Japs and dead brothers? Or better still, if he'd not come home with a metal plate in his head and coal being the only means to make a living wage in the mountains. What might Hank's life have been if his heart had not given out? If he'd never checked in at the Andrew Johnson Hotel and Charles' car moved on over so my daddy could drive to Canton, not that far from the foothills of the Appalachians where I sat singing all sass and twang as if somebody's life depended on it. We're going a long way for our next poet, Jennifer McKenzie from Melbourne, Australia. She is the author of the just-released Navigable Inc. She's appeared in a number of writer festivals, including, down in her part of the world, the Ubud Writers and Readers Festival in Bali. And when I looked that up, let me tell you, it's scheduled for October 28th to November 1st. And as of right now, in early April, it has been canceled. It's a great gig, and I'm sure they're going to schedule Jennifer for the next time around. Hello, my name is Jennifer McKenzie. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. And this poem is called Kalimantan, and it's dedicated to the Indonesian environmental activist, Emanuela Shinta. Kalimantan. The lure of diamonds brought them initially. Mangroves slink into the peatlands. Chainsaw and caterpillar tractor leaching tannins. A burning smell like no other. Hutan Bukan Hanya Milikita Hutan Canals dug deep, megaphone forest clearance, ironwood logs illegally cut, a tangle of weed and nothingness. Palm oil plantations to the horizon, 
to the azure oceans of plastic. Burning, 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 smoke haze 20 years of, but this is a different smell. I pick the wild fruit and it is bitter, oh sweet taste of my youth. You can hear the breathing, the soft voice of elders in the heart of this place. The forests are burning, pollution index 2000 plus. Peatlands burning, particles of death to the lungs. Here at the heart we are helpless without succour. Through winding road to the heart we go, a convoy of motorcyclists deep into the centre. Winding road, motorcycle diaries to the peatlands. The journey was long, into hovering death, haze thick. Oh, our dripping jackets, oh, our clinging skirts. What we can offer, masks, medicines, a fan of toothbrushes, rubber trees, blissful sandalwood, ash, collateral, setting up a kitchen for the firefighters, a burning smell like no other, our motorcycle diaries, honeycombed in trauma, written in charcoal, mourned in blood. Conrad's brooding bar on the river, melancholy out of Bangkok, and into what place? Floating in the clotok down the river, walls of pandanus, lianas closing in, hair damp from broadleaf spray, eyesight entering a darkness clotted by drip and cloud, hutan bukan hanya milik. Hutan. Oh, delight, hallelujah, chorus, gibbons, clouded leopards, sun bears, giant crimson-winged butterflies, hornbills, tarsiers, frisky freshwater dolphins, the odd croc. Are they here, a company rising above the clouds, or is it merely the hand passing through a membrane to yesterday's visionary splendour? The forest... Not only us, the forest, Kalimantan, from the Sanskrit, Kalamantana, burning weather island. Back in the U.S., just a little north of Boston, Merrimack Valley, Massachusetts, Elizabeth Wolf says she writes, because telling stories is how we hone the truth. Her recent books are the Rattle Chapbook, Did You Know?, and When Lawyers Wept, from Kelsey Books. And she's a regular in her area at the Merrimack Mike and the Full Moon Story Slam. Be sure to turn your volume up. Her recording is a little quiet. Hi, my name is Elizabeth S. Wolf. I live north of Boston, Massachusetts. I'm going to read a high bun poem that was a recent winner of a poetry contest in the third Wednesday Literary Magazine. And it's called, I Am Not the Woman I Was in That House. One, our last house burned. Anything not consumed by flames was buried in toxic ash. Everything, clothes, furniture, wooden spoons, kitchen mugs and throw rugs, my dead father's blue cardigan, 
my daughter's pink soft blanket, stuffed toys, board books. It's just stuff, he said. Everything else is logistics. We salvaged six boxes of Christmas ornaments shelled beneath the cellar stairs. We moved on. I am no longer the woman I was back then. Wife, daughter, shadow. Two. Mornings came early. I was usually tired. Coming down the crooked staircase to the farm kitchen with my toddler, we forage for breakfast. There is cooked rice in the old white fridge that grumbles and hums. What to mix in? Sweet sticky raisins from a box, tart blackberries from the bush by the bulkhead, cinnamon, no sugar. We are making healthy food. We can't afford store-bought cereal. Payday is two days away. There's an open bottle of wine my daughter and I can't eat. It burns the back of my throat to see it standing tall and alone on the center shelf. Paws scritch in the walls. The outside was encroaching, invading our space. Three. The ghost of my mother stopped by. Really, dear, she whispered. I know you work and the house is old, but perhaps if it was cleaner, you would all be a smidge brighter. The sun is nearly set and the beds are not yet made. She passed through the walls where critters nibble at night. The sun slid lower and the cold crept closer. A woman losing her mother fills the space. Four. Tucking my daughter into bed, I read three library books and sang three sleepy songs. I went back down the creaky stairs. My husband had not joined us for dinner or puzzles or hide-and-seek. I didn't make those calls today. The dog was barking, he said. He sat rigid at the computer, clicking, clicking, clicking on the virtual cards of solitaire. His jaw was clenched and tense, the tell. He was high. He did not look at my face. My reflection haunts the office window. The panes make a quaint frame. My back is warrior straight, but I cannot find my eyes. Wife, daughter, shadow. Feathers once clipped will grow back. A phoenix can fly. Back to the West Coast, our next poet is from La Honda, California, with a true story about his great-great-grandfather. It's Joe Cottonwood. Hello, I'm Joe Cottonwood. I'm in La Honda, California. This is a poem about my great-great-grandfather. It's called Family History. From this tree they lynched John T. for the crime of preaching against slavery. Hollow now, like a scolding ghost, this spar stands among Holsteins in the pasture of a man who figures we're cousins somehow. He, a Midwestern farmer, me, a California craftsman, political poles apart, but blood is thicker than geography. Tough to salvage, ancient black walnut, riddled by woodpecker, softened by rot. 
Working together with chainsaw and wrecking bar, we find a section of solid core. Here's a scar in the bark, like a grinning face, where the branch broke off, long gone. That happy limb held the rope, swinging John T.'s massive frame of muscle and blubber and bluster, until it snapped, and he ran, fast as a fat man could run. John T., grandfather of my grandfather, ran into the forest, hiding until his best friend rescued him, a man named, ironically, Lynch, grandfather of the grandfather of the man with whom I speak, thus cousins in the country way. I'll make salad bowls, I say, wooden forks and tongs, walnut plates, Maybe even a tea set for your daughter, who seems so outspoken, so feisty and strong. Tea set, he says. She needs a lectern. So here it is. The grinning knot on the surface. Those holes in the side from bullets. Lead slugs. I dug them out. Here, this cloth sack. May she heft them in her fist. May her words fire like cannons for freedom. Thank you for listening. You know, I'd like to remind you that you have the power to hit that pause button or to go back of a particular part of a poem or an entire poem really appeals to you. I hope you'll make use of that and if you're fortunate enough to be sheltered in place with someone good who you like to be with listening to this, you might want to stop after a poem and talk about it. It's the beauty of uh, having a recording, actually. It gives us the capability to do what we do when we read. We go back and read a paragraph again just because we didn't understand it or it was so beautiful. Moving up the East Coast of the U.S., we've got a poet from Walpole, New Hampshire, Alice B. Fogel. Get this is nice. She was Poet Laureate for the state of New Hampshire from 2014 to 2019. Hi, my name is Alice Fogel, and I live in Walpole, New Hampshire. And I wrote this poem when the photos of Saturn and all of its moons came in from Cassini. It's called Saturn. Saturn, your 62 moons with their long swooning shadows cast across your rings of rippled gas and waves, glitter in cratered rock and diamond cut cluster, off kilter, cliff sided clump and shell white globe, peel in patterns of pock and clobber imprinted by debris, crystal, ice crust, water. Your moons are accretion, hyperbole, a scattering of pearl necklace spilled over that distant dance floor, giving me the slip, the twirl, all roll call, a show for the sake of a planetarium's gravity and matter. 
And if I were to summon you to come through the orbiting space junk clinking its alien chimes with your mythological moon names, mere nominalism, your excess of predicates in the continuum, you would never in the whole cosmos sink so low as to cross those light years to here and now. And if I asked you in your seven year seasons to show me something I can believe, or use, you would speak in your epistemological hot coal of a language whose translation can only take hydrogen's elemental form, and your flung wide astral cabinet of curiosities could no more sway me nor change my mind than the mind unrequited could find a reason not to cling to its own rarefied atmosphere or climb its long eclipsing stare. Saturn, you with your hexagonal storms, your sine and cosine, your ovoid, terribilita, you are a fresco of overkill, and I am not falling for you, odd tangent, beautiful Maya, brilliant bauble with your blood metallic spell of the wild, grazing in the dark magnetic fields. I know you are nothing but galactic wind in a mirror, an untouchable body, however heavenly, far beyond the lit river I wade into tonight, below my single and simple, my one and only waning and waxing changeling, my backlit orb out in the open, full-on flirting, first in its game of overt come on, then it's hard to get, my crescent in the naked eye, my soul beloved, god-awesome, earthbound moon. An ex-poet has met a friend of mine for a long time, and he moved out to Colorado some years ago. So he's talking to us from out there. It's Jared Smith. He's authored 14 volumes of poetry, including his collected poems. He's poetry editor of Turtle Island Quarterly out of Oregon, and he lives just outside of Boulder, Colorado. The cabin he talks about in the poem it's truly wonderful, I can tell you. I've been there. This is Jared Smith coming to you from Colorado. The death has not occurred yet. The death has not occurred yet. Everyone is sitting at their morning coffee, idly flipping through newspapers or scanning web pages between words. A clock is ticking on the wall, second hands that have gone around before. A hot morning going up to 108 degrees and everyone who can heads to the mountains. My wife and I, too, with food and bottled water, suitcases packed for a week in a secluded cabin. For now I sit by the window in air-conditioned isolation, learning how I perceive the world. And half the keys on my computer have worn away, symbols erased by the passage of my fingers. The fan is running hard this morning, hot, 
I wonder what will happen if circuits melt. It's an old machine after all these years, but will it matter if no one reads the digitals at all? The clock is ticking. The fan is humming overtime. It is 12.20, and an order of impeachment is being voted on by resistance fighters in suits in Washington, which many say has no connection to this. I would not know but for the television news. It is surely now time to head for the mountains, these fights now too much a regular part of life. Our cabin is a quarter mile of broken jeep trail up a narrow incline of man's struggle against nature. We walk another hundred yards, put the water intake in the creek, pipe it through its PVC gravity feed. There is no radio, phone, or news media here. I sit at a rough-hewn table and write by hand. The water flows from a rushing stream through a three-quarter inch PVC pipeline to a tank behind the cabin, which is heated by a low-voltage electric line. The stove is an Alcazar, a relic that runs on propane or wood or coal, and I have used them all to heat the cabin. It was built in 1940, and the cowboy boots of three generations have lived and grown old here. The walls are filled with early snowshoes and skis, an ox yoke from West Virginia, antlers, lanterns, foul weather gear, old Indian drums and gold mining pans. Many generations sit around the table from many families. Scholars, politicians, economists, movie producers, authors, along with those who read and think and dream and breathe the mountain air. An unusual cabin lost in the national forests of Colorado. A jumping off place for hiking the James Peak wilderness outside Rollinsville and freight trains, passenger trains, plunging through the Moffat Tunnel in 1912, still powering through the mountains, separating us from either ocean, rattling the earth, shivering the mountains, and the roaring of military jets from the Air Force Academy downstate, screaming over the valley, over the trains, over the shivering earth, and over rainbow trout of 20 inches, tumbling among and over rocks, churning their way to. Here I pass again through the mind of a deer, and the kaleidoscope means nothing but what it is. I am standing ice cold in a lake born of glaciers, a trout on the line, and three vultures lost in the clouds above. A herd of deer moves down the valley, dark shadows at daybreak. The death has not occurred. Finally, we go to the hills of West Virginia for Lori Ann Butler. She participates in a number of arts, photography, videos, but lives a quiet life with her family and has a great love for nature, art, animals, and human rights. Hello, 
My name is Lori Ann Butler. I am from West Virginia, where I was born and raised. My poem is titled, My Lost Queen. Long ago, so very long ago, in a different time, your heart was betrothed to a love you cannot find. At first you resist, you're just a pawn in a game, an accidental love struck by a kiss of one great man you could never tame. At last you open your heart, you give to him body and soul, but still your world's apart. His betrayal has taken a toll because your spirit has been broken. With a vow you sealed your fate, so misunderstood and left alone, all alone, my lost queen. Your eyes so dark and brown, with long hair black as ebony, a young lady in waiting, dressed in a beautiful gown, rich and ambition and sensuality. You look back and remember when, after all is said and done, falsely accused without a friend, saddened over the loss of a son. At last you open your heart, you give to him body and soul, but still your world's apart, his betrayal has taken a toll because your spirit has been broken. With a vow you sealed your fate, believing in him was your token of true love in good faith. So misunderstood and left alone, all alone, my lost queen. The time is now to face such cruel judgment. You've taken your final bow for crimes you did not commit. Through tears you say your goodbyes. Your last confession is for all to know. Look into the blue skies and let your spirit go. Even in death she has won her greatest victory. A daughter of a king the little girl with red hair, Elizabeth, of my lost queen. This is dedicated to Queen Anne Boleyn. I am many things, and then I am nothing. Everything begins and ends at exactly the right time and place. That's going to do it for the third of the Mic of the Air. A reminder, we're always looking for submissions. Send a recording, five minutes or less, of yourself reading your work. Be sure to also tell us your name and where you're from. Recordings should be sent to openmicoftheair at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our website, PoetrySpokenHere.com, for full submission guidelines. I'm Charlie Roster, and this has been the third Open Mic of the Year 
from Poetry Spoken Here. Be sure to join us again next time to let poetry speak. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Munley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.